Are you having problems with your partner because you're still afraid that you're going to get COVID and so you're not having sex because if you have sex, you have to get close and then you're thus going to increase the risk of getting COVID? Introducing Robo Pleasure Hands. This is a really cool new sex toy invented here in Philadelphia. So it's really simple. It's basically like a wand. It has two buttons on it. If you press the button on one side, a hand pops out six feet apart, a full hand like an actual full robotic hand and it can squeeze. And on the other button, when you press that, two fingers pop out, also six feet apart. So it can be used on the man or the woman, the two fingers, and then the hand can be used on the man or the woman. You know, everyone has their, you know, sexual preferences. It's really, really cool. And I'm reviewing here is partnering with the founder of this. Uh, their name is Jonathan Goldmine. And uh, if you go to goldmine.com slash I'm slash reviewing slash here, you can get 50% off your first order of this incredible sex toy. So I really recommend it. Yeah, it works. I've tried it. I'm reviewing here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I'm Reviewing Here, a podcast where I, Matthew Bussey, watch and review Science and Sounds, top greatest movies of all time. That joke that you heard at the beginning of this, I made that joke in 2021 during, like, you know, COVID lockdown was essentially still in 2021. At least the mood was. It was so friggin' bad. And I thought it was a really fun joke, but no one laughed. But you know what? Screw them. I don't care. I think it's funny, and I think that's a really cool invention. And you know what? AI, they're going to soon, like, be taking over the world. And, you know, sex toys are getting crazier. What is the sex toy where it's like a fake vagina? What's that called again? I can't remember. Oh, someone told me about that once, though. I just got a weather notification. It is a rainy day here in Philadelphia, and it's really crap because I'm filming this on a Saturday. Uh, how is everybody doing? Um, this is really... So I have some... Well, it's not news per se, but so when you start a podcast, you know, you, you want to promote it, you know, you want to get more listeners, more subscribers, you just want to do the best you can. But you know, I'm no celebrity. So I'm just this loser, just having fun talking about movies by myself. And you know, there are these websites that you can use to better, you know, get your podcast about, you know, like YouTube, I'm on YouTube now. So that's obviously a big help. Uh, but there are like other websites. There's like this website called Pod Lottery, and there's a website called Pod Match where you know you can discover other podcasts and kind of chat and mingle with them and potentially get guests on them. So I've started getting reviews for this podcast, and a lot of them are pretty nice, but I just got a really nasty review, and it was so funny. <laughs> I friggin' loved it. You see, I love getting bad reviews. I think it's so funny because people are just so outrageous. I think people, when they see this podcast, like what this podcast is about, they seem to think that I'm actually going to be like a serious, like intelligent film, you know, connoisseur, you know, and and it's like, no, did you see, do you see the poster for this podcast? Do you see my description, how stupid it is? I'm not being serious here. Yeah. This review was so funny though, because this person was like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. This is, I want my time back. I can't believe it. This guy talks too much about himself and he doesn't know anything about movies. Like it was like, dude, dude, oh my God, you don't, all right, whatever. But at the same time, you know what? Bad reviews, I always say bring them on because they're also just really funny. And I think that, um, you know, bad reviews, like it's kind of like a cliche thing to say, but like they do make you a lot stronger. So if you are listening to this and if you hate me to death, go ahead and leave a review. I don't give a shit. Go and leave a review.
you. Do it. Be honest. I'm an honest person. I'm not a uh, mean person. If I have something mean going on in my thoughts, I just don't say anything. But, you know, I'm not going to preach to the choir here. You do you. And, uh, yeah. Hit me with your best shot. <laughs> oh, good song. Guys, today's movie is a downer, but it is an amazing downer of a film. Uh, this is a movie by a very prolific production company that has this huge, I don't want I don't even want to say it has a huge cult following. Um, it's Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli. Ugh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, today I'm going to be talking about an amazingly powerful a positively gut-wrenching animated film made from Japan called Grave of the Fireflies. Take a listen. Just that music alone, like, ugh, makes me so sad. Grave of the Fireflies. This is uh, a masterpiece. I, I don't know how else to describe it besides calling it a masterpiece. So it came out in 1988. It's a Japanese movie. It was uh, co-written and directed by this guy named, uh, I, oh God, I didn't, Iseo I Takahata? I think that's how you say it. I, I, Isao. That's how you say it, I think. Uh, amazing, amazing, amazing job. Uh, he passed away in 2018, uh, but he is the co-founder of Studio Ghibli. Now, Studio Ghibli, what is that exactly? Studio Ghibli is kind of like Japan's Pixar in a way, um, but even better in my opinion. Now, look, I'm not anti-Pixar. It's Pixar. I love Pixar movies, but you know, Pixar though, it's all about making a profit. It's all about, well, we got to make sequels. We got to make sequels. We got to reboot things and make sequels and sequels. Oh, and we got to make sequels. You know, it's all about the goddamn friggin' sequels. And sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they're mediocre. Sometimes they're great, but Studio Ghibli, though, their movies, I mean, they're all hand-drawn for a start. That is just amazing. That is so old school, and I love it. And their movies, too, are, like, they made such a big impact globally, too. Like, in Japan, they're huge. But even in the U.S., since, like, they started, which was, like, the 80s, people in the U.S. are running to them. And I think, actually, Disney actually owns um, Studio Ghibli 
films, like when they get released in the United States, they're actually like, they're not really as big and popular as they used to be. And I think one of the big reasons is because there is this director, his name is uh, Hayao Miyazaki, and he is, oh my God, he's like a god. He's like a living legend. And he basically stopped making uh, movies a while back. I think, though, he actually pulled a Cameron Diaz and he came back and did another new movie, uh, which should hopefully, I hope it comes out. But the last one he did was a movie, a Studio Ghibli movie called The Wind Rises, which came out, and I think it was 2016. I have to, I may be wrong on that. But I think when he stopped doing that, though, Studio Ghibli movies in the U.S. at least, they kind of, they, they died down a little bit. They weren't really that popular. But what is so great about Studio Ghibli movies? Oh my God, they're just phenomenal. They are, the animation is beautiful. There is always this whimsical, beautiful, fantastical element to every Studio Ghibli movie. They're charming. Uh, they're not always for kids. Some of them, I mean, this movie especially, uh, I mean, it's educational for kids, but it's probably going to give kids like goddamn nightmares. But, you know, they're just epic stories. I don't know how else to say that. The way that they're written, the the imagery, everything. I, I like, I can't, and you see, this is what happens. I get too excited and then I, um, this is why people hate my podcast. <laughs> They've made a lot, though. So Studio Ghibli movies, and then I'm going to get into the movie. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies is actually a really early one. So this didn't really start until the 80s. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki, he didn't direct this movie, but he did direct, I think it was the, the first one, uh, was this movie called Nausicaa. I have not seen this movie, so forgive me. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And there's so many others. Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Porco Rosso. I haven't seen that one, but My Neighbor Totoro. Oh my God. Princess Mononoke. Oh my freaking God. Amazing. Spirited Away. Oh my God. I am so freaking excited to watch that. It's probably going to be a year because I think that's like number 10 on Sight and Sounds list. One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. And it won Best Animated Film at the Oscars. Can you believe that? Yeah. Ponyo, oh, such a cute movie. The way this works, too, is that um, these these Studio Ghibli movies, they get released in Japan, and then when they get released in the U.S., they have all these huge, big Hollywood actors uh, do the voiceover work for them. Uh, like, you know, Ponyo, like Tina Fey is in that movie, and My Neighbor Totoro, Elle, and Dakota Fanning are in, them, in, in that movie, and they're so cute. They're like, you know, five and like eight in that. So they're just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movies. A lot of them are super, super um, heavy, but a lot of them are also just charming and just lovely. Ponyo is like the cutest little movie. It's about a cute little goldfish, kind of like a little mermaid story, but he doesn't really talk and he doesn't have boobs or anything. But he kind of like, oh God, Ponyo, he gets like adopted by this cute little boy. And then um, I think he starts to grow. He starts to, uh, he becomes like a little anthropomorphic anthropomorphic. I just wanted to use that word. I don't know if I'm even freaking using it right. Groove of the Fireflies, though, um, is a very, very, very sad movie because it's a movie about how war is just so stupid and, like, futile and just dumb and pointless, and it doesn't serve anyone on either side. Now, I say that, though. This isn't filmed this isn't like a propaganda movie though it's not really meant to be a movie about oh my god war is bad let's not do it you know there's no propaganda at all 
And Takahata, the director, you know, he was very clear on that. He, uh, when making this, said, no, this is not meant to be a movie about that. It's it's uh, based on a short story uh, called Hotaro no Haka by this author named... Uh, oh, jeez, where is... Oh, yeah, here it is. I stammered because I cannot pronounce this at all. Akiyuki Nosaka? Oh, I think I got that. It was. It's a semi-autobiographical short story and... Um, it's just a devastating story. What's so devastating about it? It's a World War II story, and it basically is a World War II story from the point of view of these two children, this teenage boy and his younger sister, his much younger sister. And it's just, it, it, it's, God. It gets me mad. Like, it's a movie like, movie like, movies like this get me so mad because, you know, this is just a movie, but you know that this is also based on a true story, which I'll, you know, based on true events, which I'll get into. But you know that, you know, the characters in this are just two of like millions of people affected by World War II. And you got to remember too, this is kind of similar to a movie like All Quiet on the Western Front and that it's a movie from the point of view of the Axis powers instead of the Allied powers. This is a movie all from Japan's point of view. And you know what it does? It shows you how the residents in Japan... We're just people, too, you know? They didn't want to go and fight. They just wanted to live. Oh, war. War is just fucking awful. I hate war so much. Yeah, I don't... I get so, like, heated whenever I talk about World War II because I think, you know... Oh, just what a waste. What a waste of life, of, of just... What came out of World War II? What came out of World War I? What came out of the Vietnam War? Nothing. Okay, I'm getting a little too political now. Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, this movie is set in uh, Kobe, which is a place in Japan, obviously. Now, when this movie kicks off, you see uh, this teenage boy, like, in this, like, uniform, and he looks very stoic and kind of, like, ghostly in a way. And you're like, is that, like, is he, like, a ghost? Like, what is this, you know? And the year is 1945, and, you know, it's World War II. It's terrible. We all know that that was the last year of the war, and we know how the war ended in Japan. So, you know, you, you know, you know what's coming. But on March 16th and March 17th, this really did happen. Uh, the Allied powers bombed the town of Kobe. Uh, and, you know, it would get bombed again a few months later. And, you know, this is all before the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Is it Hiroshima or Hiroshima? I never know how to say it. So this movie takes place, uh, you know, right... It skips the, you know, handsome but, you know, ghostly-looking teenage boy, and it cuts to him, and uh, he is in this train station, and he is so malnourished, and he is, like dying basically and people are just walking by him and people you know these police officers eventually or you know these people that work at the train station they eventually see him and they're just like yeah he's dead like all the others because you see all these other homeless like malnourished guys around him as well so you're like oh god so he died what 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 huh what happened and then it flashes back and it goes right to the event when the Allied powers bomb Kobe. And you see this guy, and his name is Seta. He is this, you know, very well-mannered uh, teenage boy. And he has this younger sister who's, like, five years old. Her name is uh, Sesko. She is, like, the most adorable little, like, munchkin 
in the history of animation. She's got these adorable little, you know, rosy cheeks and she just doesn't know what's going on. And her brother is just always taking care of her. And they hear, you know, it's it, the movie, um, you find out that, you know, their father is fighting in the war and they're living with their mother. And when the movie starts off, I mean, the, the bombs are dropping. So their mom is like, okay, okay, I'm going to go to the shelter. You know, you guys follow me. And they're like, okay, so, so they do it and they, they miss it. Um, and you know, the bombs start to drop and, and Seta and Sesko, they manage to survive and, you know, they go to a, a shelter where everyone is injured and, and cause they have nowhere else to go right now. Seta, you know, tries to find his mother and he later finds out that she was killed in the blast. And, you know, it's a, horrific moment where he goes and he sees her body and she's like a bloody mummy like literally she's covered in all these um you know bandages and she is just there is just the blood is just everywhere and takahata wants you to he doesn't sugarcoat anything in this movie don't make it don't be fooled that because this is an animated movie it's going to be like super super like oh it's about war but we want to make it for kids so we're going to make it like you know we're going to hide the blood no 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 he shows you this is war. This is what happens. So their mom has died and Seta is really good at like hiding his pain because, you know, he needs to be the man of the house right now. He needs to really just take care of his sister. It's all about Sesco right now. He doesn't tell Sesco that their mother has died, but they have nowhere to go. And, you know, to cheer her up, there are these drops that he constantly gives her. It's, it's like these candy it's like a tin with all these little candy drops, kind of like Jolly Ranchers, and they're called they're called uh, Sakuma drops. They play a big part in the movie because his sister loves them. So they have nowhere to go now, and you know they kind of they they have a distant aunt, and she's like a total biatch, and she doesn't even have a name. She's just known as the aunt. And they go to her, and they're basically like, you know, we just we have nowhere to go. And their aunt is also taking in a bunch of other refugees. And the aunt doesn't really, like, want them. And it's a little sad, but it's a little bit, I think, sadly realistic, too. Because, you know, I think back then, I mean, to be in Japan, to be in any country affected by World War II, it was all about survival. I mean, it was. Even your loved ones, I think it's, it's fair to say that absolutely everybody lost their minds a little bit, you know? I mean, because any day you could die, any day you could you know, somebody could just come in your house and shoot you who, I don't know, is with the other side. I don't know. It's crazy. So she doesn't really have any money. So, you know, he's trying to keep uh, Sesco busy with everything. But, you know, she's getting whiny. She's getting really sad. You know, she wants her mom back. And he has to just keep telling her she'll be back. She'll be back. And he has to go out and he has to get some money. So, you know, his mother has a little bit of money left in the bank, which he gets. And, you know, he needs to get, like, um, food and everything for him and his sister. So he does that. He sells his mom, his mom's, uh, you know, kimono to get like rice and everything. And eventually their aunt is like, okay, you guys aren't doing a good enough job. I think you should go. I mean, yeah, no words about that. So they leave Sesco was becoming more and more, and this is what's so good about the movie, is that she's becoming more and more aware that her mother has died. But, you know, it's weird when you're a kid. How do you process grief, you know? Because you also kind of... Sesco is just so used to war right now that she, she doesn't even want to, like, face it in a way. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when I reviewed Europe 51. Like, 
It's about a child who commits suicide because they were raised during World War II. And it, it, it hits you. Even if you didn't fight in World War II, like you probably did have PTSD. Even if you grew up during that era, if your town is bombed, of course you're going to have a little PTSD. So, you know, Sesco is just... The, the voice work is just phenomenal in this. It's by, the, the cast in this movie is very unknown. Also, this version, like most Studio Ghibli movies, um, you can't really find the original Japanese cuts. I mean, you can, but in America, at least, you're primarily going to watch the dubbed versions. But it's okay because it's animated, so, you know, it's like, you don't have to worry about it being out of sync. Out of sync, like dubbing, I cannot watch movies that are like that. I can't. Yeah. But in this film, though, there aren't really a lot of big stars, but the voice work is just absolutely phenomenal. So Seita and Sesko, they leave their mean aunt's house and they have nowhere to go and they find this bomb shelter. And it's like in the middle of the woods. And Sesko's just like, can we live there? Can we live there? And he's like, yeah, okay. I mean, they have nowhere else to go. So yeah, sure. And, you know, there are these brief moments where everything is fine. They go to the beach and they, they play with each other and... Seta is just keeping it in so well. He's doing his best to save his sister and get food for his sister. But, you know, you can only do so much until you run out of money. He eventually, you know, begins stealing from, uh, you know, farmers, like in the middle of the night. He gets caught one night and this farmer is a POS and he beats him up. And Seska eventually does find out that, you know, their mother has died. It's one of the most gut-wrenching uh, moments in the movie because she's burying uh, this big pile of dead uh, fireflies that she found. And it's such a great moment because what Takahata does is he cross-cuts it to these really disturbing images of, you know, dead vil dead villagers being buried, like, after a bombing. And you, you can tell that it's... Because it's a close-up of um, Sesko's face. Or Seita's face, I'm sorry. It's a close-up of his face, and then you see those quick shots of the people being buried, and then Seda just breaks down into tears. Doesn't even, like, weep. Like, you don't even hear anything come out of his mouth, but he just breaks down. And it's that, you know, over-dramatic, over like, animated, you know, shot where the tears are just, like, squirting out. And you feel it. You feel his pain. And, you know, I think what's so sad about Grave of the Fireflies is don't forget that first shot. That was him. As a ghost. Are ghosts real? No. So you know he's going to die soon. <laughs> you do. I mean, spoiler alert, but you do. Things get really, really bad for this brother and, for this brother and sister. So Sesco starts to become very, very sick. She gets this horrible rash on her and she begins to like starve and he can't get enough money for her. <sighs> And her condition just gets worse and worse and worse. And he's hugging her and he's just like, don't go, don't go. And she's like, I can't. She's getting worse. She's getting diarrhea. She can't, you know, he can't get enough food for her. He can't get enough money. He also, his health is declining rapidly. So the movie's nearing the end and he goes into town and finds out that the war is over. Japan has surrendered. Uh, and, you know, it hits him like, oh my God, but what does that mean about my dad? Is my dad dead? And, and you never find out in the movie, but it's pretty, I think it's pretty obvious that he's died. He goes back to Sesco. He gets food too. And he goes back to Sesco and it's that moment of, oh my God, well, the war is over, but maybe they can get some help now. And he finds her and his little sister has died. He finds her on the field 
like in the woods, just passed away. And she died. And he burns her, you know, he gets her ashes and he keeps her ashes in the tin, the candy box, you know, the little tin box that she loved. And you hear, there's a little bit of, of voiceover in this, you know, Saita does, Saita, I'm sorry, he does narrate it, you know, that that was the last time he saw his sister. And then the way the movie ends, it doesn't really cross back to the beginning of the movie. You just eventually find out that that opening was after his sister died. And it ends with this just positively wonderful, but, you know, wonderfully heartfelt, but sad moment where you see the spirits of uh, Seda and Sesco, and they're just reunited with each other. And there are fireflies everywhere in the field and it's night and the music is beautiful. It was like the music you heard in that trailer. And then it cuts to them in modern day Kobe the city of Kobe, you know, so there's big buildings and lights everywhere and they're sitting on this bench and they're just watching the city and they're finally at peace. And then my friends, the movie ends. I keep going. I'm sorry if I do that. I know just talking about it. It just, it, it puts me now, now look, 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 it, it, it puts you in a bad mood. Of course it does. But this movie has a power that, is so unbelievably like you cannot shake it off from yourself. And like I said, it's not a war movie. It's not an anti, I'm sorry. It, it is a war movie, but it's not a propagandistic war movie. Cause there's a lot of those that were made. I know a lot of people have opinions about the Japanese in world war two. And you would think people who are inept at studying movies, you would think that a lot of them would probably <laughs> people who are inept, like some people um, like me, may think that this movie is trying to make a statement like, oh my God, Japan deserved to fight and, and Japan was treated horribly. No, there's none of that in this movie. This is just a coming-of-age story about siblings trying to survive in a world that is just coming apart. And it's all the sadder because, you know, I, said, I hinted at this in the beginning, this is based on true events. So the author of the book, Grave of, the short story, Grave of the Fireflies, Nosaka, he really did lose his sister uh, in the war. She was just a child and she starved to death. Even more personal, what, what makes the movie even more personal is that Takahata, he was like nine or 10 when, um, you know, the war broke out. And he actually was in the city, uh, not Kobe, but he was in the city in Japan when bombs dropped. So, you know, there's a lot of personal parts to this film that make it all the more moving. And like I said, it's not like a sugar-coated movie. It is not really a kid's movie, but I think it's so educational. I think it's so... It's a movie that just, when it's over, I mean, what, get a lot of tissues when you watch this movie. I don't cry at movies, but this movie, even I, like... I made the mistake of watching it on, like, a Monday night, and then I just went to bed right after, and I felt just so depressed and sad. But, you know, depressing movies, though, it's like I've said, they're good. They're really, really good. This is probably one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, is it Ghibli or Ghibli? I don't like to say Ghibli because it reminds me of that J-Lo movie, Ghibli, with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. So the big thing I, I should also say in this movie is the fireflies. What do the fireflies represent? The fireflies are a huge motif in this movie. Because Sesko and Seta, they play with them at night all the time. She loves to collect them. It gives them light at night. 
Well, they represent a lot of things. I think they represent peace because fireflies are just totally harmless. And these poor people that are just trying to survive, you know, in, in the day they're trying to survive. And when they don't know if they're going to make it at night, the fireflies give them comfort. You know, they give, they give Sesco joy in a way. And, you know, there's other interpretations. The flies can represent the bombs that were being dropped from the sky. Her. Very cool. I even read somewhere that if you actually look at the original poster for this movie, if you zoom in really, really closely to the fireflies in the poster, it's actually not fire. They're actually not fireflies. They're bombs being dropped from the sky. Clever. Am I right? 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 I'm, okay, I'll shut up now. <sighs> yeah. I can't recommend this movie enough. I just think if you love moving movies, but also if, if you love heartbreaking tearjerker movies that are animated and feature just absolutely incredible performances by children too. Takahata, the last thing I'll say is Takahata, he intentionally wanted to get like real children to do the voice work. Now I listened to the dubbed version, um, but obviously the Japanese version, you know, it was real kids doing the voice work and it's real. It could not be more real. Um, it could not make it more, you know, it makes it all the more believable and all, all the more, you know, uh, satisfying in a really sad way, <laughs> you know, it really does. Because, you know, when you want, when you watch a movie with, where there's a kid actor and it's clearly like a 15 year old trying to play an eight year old or whatever, it's like Rugrats. Like when Tommy was pickles is actually voiced by like a, an old woman, you know? Wow. I did fall for that, though. Tommy Pickles. I wanted to have a Tommy Pickles when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I wanted to have a baby. I wanted to actually adopt a baby, but just Tommy Pickles. Yeah, so cute. That's a happier show, though. <laughs> the, is the Rugrats movie on this list? I don't think it is. So Grave of the Fireflies, when it came out, it was critically acclaimed. Roger Ebert uh, called it, like, one of the best movies of the 80s, I think. Or actually, what was it? Was it the 80s or the 90s? No, no, I'm sorry. It was 1988 when this movie came out. Um, where can you watch Grave of the Fireflies? So it's nowhere, you can't rent it for free, but what you can do is do a good deed, do a mitzvah, as the Jews say, and go and rent this movie on Apple TV or Vudu, V-U-D-U, if you have that. Uh, if you're really cheap and you want to spend a dollar less, you can watch it on Vudu for $2.99, but you shouldn't do that. Get this on HD. It is a dollar more, people, and it's so worth it. I absolutely just adored this movie so much. What's the moral of this movie? Um, war is atrocious and awful. Love your family. Just keep them close and love them. Nothing is your fault. You know, if you're a child and you're going through a horrible, exper horrible experience, a horrible experience like the siblings in Grief of the Fireflies, know that it's not your fault. You're a child and you didn't deserve this. No one does. Wow, this was a really deep episode. I didn't really joke a lot, except for the, you know, sex joke at the very beginning. I probably should have saved that for a sexier movie. But I couldn't keep it in. That's what she said. Oh, shit. I should stop now. Oh, my God. Guys, this was really fun. It's always fun. Um, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. If you like it, leave a comment. If you hate it, leave a comment. I don't care. Be yourself. It's really good. Um, I'm no expert at these things. I'm just trying to recommend... Movies. I'm trying to not recommend movies. I recommend this movie to the moon and back. Um, rest in peace to just everyone who has to live through tragedies like like this one, you know, um, in the movie. Sorry, not uh, the I was going to. No.
Not tragedies like me. Okay. I don't know where the joke is going. I had a joke going and I, you know, my brain is like crazy right now. It must be the chips. I just ate a lot of... What kind of chips were they? Salt and pepper chips. Yeah, from Trader Joe's. So, so good. But yeah, my mouth is on fire right now. Guys, this is amazing. I We have a full lineup this week. Uh, like I said, don't forget to review, subscribe. You can listen to I'm Reviewing Here wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow me on YouTube if you'd like. It's just the same at, at I'm Reviewing Here. You can also follow me on uh, Instagram at I'm Reviewing Here. Or you can follow me personally at Mabosi. Why are you laughing? It's not funny. It's my last name. B-U-S-S-Y is my last name. It's not a boy. Oh, come on. Cut the shit. All right. Come on. Yes. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.